going by the third verse there. Yeah. Maybe a couple more verses. Hey, if you're a guest of ours, we are honored that you're with us today. A lot of places you could be today, and we're honored that you chose to worship with us here at Bay Area. Uh, George reminded us of Bible Sunday that's coming up in two weeks. Once we be praying about that, planning for that. You know, a couple times a year we try to have some special things going on, uh, and this is a special thing. We want to we share God's Word with the world, and I'm, I'm just really thankful that we have a, a leadership that said, you know, let's send Bibles. Well, how much of our contribution on that fifth Sunday we want to use? And they said, let's use it all. Let's use all of it. So um, let's make that a special day and be praying about that. I heard a story about a court jester who had served the king for years. And he had amused the king at parties and kind of lightened the mood when it was necessary. But one particular occasion, this court jester very much offended the king. And the king sentenced the jester to death. But the king told the jester, since you have served me so faithfully all these years, I'm going to allow you to choose the manner in which you die. The jester said, let me get this straight. You're going to allow me to, to choose my own means of death. The king said, yes, that's right, and I, I promise I'll honor your request. The jester thought about it for a few minutes and said, well, then, if it's all the same to you, I choose old age. <laughs> which I guess is the choice we would all make if we were given choice, right? We are finishing up uh, this morning our series on the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever preached. And I know that we're leaving a lot of things on the table. We could spend several more weeks, and we, there's some things that we probably should have stopped and looked at, and, uh, but this is it, uh, for now at least. This is the 12th sermon on the Sermon on the Mount, and I hope that you've enjoyed it as much as I have. But this morning, we're going to talk about choices. Because as Jesus wraps up the Sermon on the Mount, he says there's an important choice that you're going to have to make. And I've entitled this lesson, Living and Dying with the Choices I've Made. And just out of curiosity, how many of you recognize that reference? Anyone seen that before? Not too many, which is probably a good thing. Mary's, Mary's recognized it. It's an old country song by George Jones. Anthony, you didn't recognize that? No? No, I didn't think so. He had this old song that said, um, I've had choices since the day I was born. There were voices to tell me right from wrong. If I had listened, no, I wouldn't be here today. Living and dying with the choices of me. That's my George Jones imitation which sounds a whole lot like my Bruce Springsteen imitation. <laughs> this morning, we're going to talk about choices. And I want to remind you this morning of a fundamental choice that every single person that's ever introduced to Jesus is going to have to make. Well, back there was a television commercial that uh, I think it was for a phone company. It was pretty cleverly done, though. It showed a little boy and his dad sitting in the stands for a professional football game, and after the game, a player comes by with a ball, and the player tosses it up to the little boy who catches it. And then the camera follows that professional football player through a door, and you see a younger version of that player playing college ball. 
And then he goes through another door and you see a, a younger version of himself in high school playing football. And he goes through another door and you see a younger version playing Pop Warner football. Then he gets out of a van with his dad and is there at a uh, professional football game. His dad uses his phone to get these great seats. And at the end of a game, a player with a ball comes by and tosses it up to him. And of course, the storyline through the commercial is pretty, you know, pretty obvious. This little boy was inspired by someone. And he worked hard to become that same type of individual who then could inspire someone else. And you really see this all the time, you know, especially in sports. You hear people who are interviewed and said, well, you know, 15 years ago I watched Michael Jordan play basketball and I just dedicated myself to the game. I was inspired. Or someone says, I watched Tiger Woods you know, win the Masters and, and I was so inspired I took up golf. Or I saw Michael Phelps swim in the Olympics. You know, there's this huge spike in, in kids joining swim teams after the Olympics. Now, I appreciate what those guys have accomplished. But they didn't change my life. I admired them. I was impressed by them, but I didn't take up golf. I certainly didn't take up competitive swimming. I am an admirer, not a follower. And there is a huge, huge difference. Someone who admires someone who is impressed, someone who follows someone's devoted. An admirer will applaud. A follower surrenders his life. Now, a lot of people admired Martin Luther King Jr. A few marched with him. Not too many went to prison with him. A lot of people admired Mother Teresa. Not too many chose to live a life among the dying and the destitute. And I say this because Jesus comes to the end of the Sermon on the Mount. And there's basically two groups who are there by the time he wraps up this message. The crowd is there. In fact, that's why he began the message. We're told as Jesus saw the crowds, he sat down and began to teach. The crowd's there, and there's a lot of them. In fact, at the end of the sermon, the crowd is amazed at Jesus' teaching. Look how Matthew chapter 7 concludes. Verse 28. When Jesus had finished saying these things, which these things were the Sermon on the Mount, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. Jesus amazed them. Why? Because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. The whole crowd was amazed at Jesus. The whole crowd admired Jesus. But something happened in the hearts of a few of those people who were in the crowd. For a few of those people, not many, but for a few of those people that listened to Jesus, their hearts started pounding. And their minds started racing. And they start thinking to themselves, this guy's making a lot of sense. This guy is talking about things that, that I've been longing for. I didn't even know what it was I was longing for, but, but this is what I've been longing for. This is what I've been seeking. This is it. He is it. It's Jesus. To be cleansed. To be forgiven of all the mistakes that I've made. My poor choices. My sin. To be able to, to live beyond a life of worry. To live beyond a life of fear. To not be dominated by you know, sexual temptation or, or unhealthy habits. To be able to be a part of something as big and as glorious as the kingdom of God. To have confidence beyond the grave. A few people said, I've got to have this. I've got to have him. Some people in the crowd, again, not all. In fact, not most. But some said, 
I would rather have what that man is offering than everything else that the world has to offer. And I would rather give up everything the world has to offer than miss what that man is offering. Some people in the crowd said, I'll give whatever it takes. And I'll do whatever I need to do. I'll live however he asks me to live. I'll go wherever he wants me to go. I'll become whatever he wants me to become. Some people on the hillside said, I'm walking away from the crowd. I'm walking away from someone who just admires this man. And I'm going to follow this man. Now you think about people in the New Testament who, who had some Jesus experiences. Think about a young or, or a, a small guy by the name of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is intrigued by Jesus. He's curious about Jesus. He wants to see Jesus, but he, he wants to keep his distance. So he climbs a tree. But of course, Jesus confronts Zacchaeus. And once Jesus has a conversation with Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus kind of has to make a decision. He has a choice to make. Am I going to admire this man from a distance? Or am I going to become a follower? And we know Zacchaeus' choice. Zacchaeus says, I'm stepping out of the crowd. I don't want to just admire you from afar. And Zacchaeus said, I'll, I'll give half of what I own to the poor. And if I've cheated someone, I'll, I'll pay him back four times. He stepped away from the crowd. And really, in the matter of you know, a day, Zacchaeus goes from someone who admired Jesus, who was curious about Jesus, to a follower. Think about a guy in Scripture. We don't even know his name. We know him as the rich young ruler. He comes to Jesus. In fact, Scripture says he ran to Jesus, fell at his knees. Good teacher. He calls Jesus good. What must I do to inherit eternal life? He asks a good question. Jesus looks at the young man and we're told he had compassion on the man. So what you have, give it to the poor. Follow me. And of course, we know that the young man's response was he went away sad. Because Jesus was asking him to do something that he wasn't ready to do. Jesus was asking him to, to cross a line that he wasn't ready to cross. Because that would have meant making some very serious decisions about his uh, financial situation. Now, Jesus always seems to do this with people. Jesus always asks, in fact, he demands a decision to be made. And of course, as we look to the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus keeps trying to bring these people to a kingdom focus. He keeps talking about what kingdom life looks like and challenging them. He begins the Sermon on the Mount by talking about blessings and all the blessings that are available. And these blessings that are available to, to really everyone. And then he goes through you know, all these things that we've talked about, all this, this way of living, this way of relating to other people. And toward the very end of this wonderful lesson, Jesus says, now, if you want this life, all these things that I've been talking about, if you want this life, you're going to have to make a decision. There's some choices that you're going to have to make. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Jesus is talking about a choice. He's talking about a decision. He says there's a, there's a broad gate and there's a narrow gate. There's a, a broad road and there's a narrow road. 
Well, what's the broad road like? The broad way? Well, it's, it's what the crowd does. It's the path of least resistance. It's what everybody, or at least most people, choose. That's why it's called the broad way, the wide road. Most people fall into that category. A lot of people travel in that road. You know, if I were to ask most people, especially in America, that are traveling that broad road, if I were to ask them, do you love Jesus? I think most people would say, yeah, I love Jesus. And a lot of people would say something like this, well, I love Jesus, but I, I love him on my terms. No, I'm, I'm a spiritual person. I'm not really a religious person. And that sounds so open-minded. And it sounds so enlightened, doesn't it? And they might very well go to church, maybe for years. They, they might volunteer. They might you know, give money to good causes. But they very much want to retain control of their lives. If following Jesus means changing something about their priorities or changing something about their lifestyle, if following Jesus means getting really serious about how we treat other people and immersing ourselves in the Word, then they want to reserve the right to be able to say, not so fast. Don't want to get quite that deep. Don't want to get quite that involved. Let's not go overboard here on the whole Jesus thing. I mean, let's keep some kind of balance. People traveling the broad road want to be able to say, you know, God hands off some parts of my life. I want to stay in control. So they might say some of the right words and they might do some of the right things. They're not devoted to Jesus. He's not going to be the Lord of their life. And then what about, what about the narrow path? Jesus says, the narrow path is me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. It's Jesus. Love Jesus. Surrender to Jesus. Worship Jesus. Serve Jesus. Abide in Jesus. Devote yourself to Jesus. Don't be just an admirer. Be a follower. But understand, it's a choice. It's a choice that you've got to make. And we're going to live and we're going to die with the choices that we make. The whole last section of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is painting some pictures for those people and for us. And he's talking about some comparisons. He said there's a, there's a broad gate and there's a narrow gate. There's, 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 not, there's no third gate. There's a broad road and there's a narrow road. There's no third road. He talks about trees. There's a good tree and there's a bad tree. There's no third tree. He talks about someone who built their house on the rock and someone who built their house on sand. There, there's no third house. He talks about disciples, good disciples and false disciples. There, there's no third group. He talks about people who hear the Word and put it into, their, into practice. And he talks about people who hear the Word and know what to do, but they don't do it. There's no third category of people. And what it really comes down to is a single choice. Are you going to be wholly devoted to Jesus? Are you going to follow Him with all your heart or not? Are you going to be a follower of Jesus or not? That's the choice. That's the decision. Is Jesus going to be Lord of your life? Or is He just going to be a part of your life? 
Now, let me try to sharpen this a little bit with an illustration that preachers have been using for the last 150 years with varying degrees of accuracy. Um, I am sure that most of you have heard this illustration before. But I say a lot of things that you've heard before. So I've got that going for me. It's the illustration of a man by the name of Charles Blondin. Charles Blondin was a tightrope walker. He's originally from Germany. When he came to America, he was fascinated with, in fact, he was obsessed with walking a tightrope across Niagara Falls. And in the summer of 1859, he did just that. On a two-inch rope made of hemp, 1,200 feet across Niagara Falls, 165 feet above the, the falls themselves, he stepped out on this rope, inch by inch, step by step, no safety net, no safety harness, and traversed the, the length of Niagara Falls. 100,000 people were there to see him. The crowd went wild. During the next several months, Blunded would make that same trip 17 times. 17 times he walked across the rope across Niagara Falls. Once he did it blindfolded. Once he took a chair with him and put the chair on the rope and stood on the chair. Once he did it on stilts. Once he, he had a stove on his back and he stopped in the middle and made an omelet. And actually lowered the omelet down to the people on the deck of the Maid of the Mist. I mean, this guy was a showman you know, to be living in, in the 1800s. Once he crossed the falls while pushing a wheelbarrow, the crowd went wild. They were amazed. He walks the rope with authority. Not like teachers of our law. He's amazing. Blondin asked the crowd, how many of you believe that I could go back across the falls with a man in the wheelbarrow? The crowd shouted, we believe, we believe. You're the great Blondin. You can do anything. And he asked the crowd, who's willing to step out of the crowd and, and get in the wheelbarrow? The crowd went deathly silent. Do you believe or are you just an admirer? However, one man, a guy by the name of Harry Colcord, stepped out of the crowd. He actually knew Blunden. He'd worked with him before. He'd seen Blunden perform this stunt. He knew he could do it. And he stepped out of the crowd and got in the wheelbarrow. Could you imagine that trip? On a two-inch rope, sitting in a wheelbarrow, 170, 75 feet above Niagara Falls, no safety anything, inch by inch, step by step. You know, the crowd cheered, but the crowd didn't get in the wheelbarrow. And the walk that those two men went on that day, neither one of them would ever forget. Jesus finishes the Sermon on the Mount. And everybody's amazed. In fact, that's what Matthew says. He amazed them. But Jesus' purpose wasn't to amaze anyone. I mean, that wasn't his purpose. What Jesus, never, Jesus never said, I want you to admire me. What Jesus always said was, I want you to follow me. If you want to be my disciple, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. It's always been Jesus' message. Jesus is in fact saying, you're going to have to get in the wheelbarrow. You're going to have to trust me, and you're going to have to get in. Now, we need to know exactly what goes in the wheelbarrow. 
as we talk about the decision of are we a, an admirer or are we a are we a follower? Jesus wants to make it very clear what goes in the wheelbarrow. My sin goes in there. My guilt. My shame. Now, I know a lot of people hear a, a lesson like this and they say, well, you know, yeah, I've got some sin. You know, I'm like everyone else, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I'm like everybody else, but I'm really not that bad. You know, compared to him, compared to them, I'm not so bad. Or someone hears a message like this and they think, man, I could never have a relationship with God. My life is just so messed up. You know, I, I could never have that kind of peace and the, that, that happiness and all those things that you Christians talk about. I, I, I could never experience that. So Jesus sits down on the side of the hill and he very plainly tells these people, here's the deal. Your sin problem is so much worse than you think it is. He tells the people, you, you, you talk about thou shalt not murder. And somehow you think, as long as you don't pull the trigger, as long as you don't actually take someone's life, you're okay with God. But you've got all this hatred in your heart. And you've got all this malice and all this resentment. And it's, it's just going to leak out and it's going to ruin your life. And he says, you, you keep telling each other, you know, thou shalt not commit adultery. And somehow you've decided, as long as you're not caught in bed with somebody you're not married to, you're okay with God. But you've got all this lust in your heart. And you have all these unhealthy desires. It's going to ruin your life. Jesus is saying you've got like this Niagara Falls of sin going on. And there's nothing you can do about it. You can't fix it. You can't bridge the gap between you and God that your sin has created. You can't make it right. But Jesus says, I can. I'll go to the cross. I'll put your sins on my back. I'll, I'll die so that, so that you can be forgiven, so that your slate can be wiped clean, your past, your sin, your guilt. Jesus says, you put it in the wheelbarrow. But then he also says, your present, your future. That goes in too. You put your time in the wheelbarrow. It's not your time anymore. Your energy, your resources, your money, your security... It all goes in the wheelbarrow. All those things that we kind of run after. She says that life's not about piling up those things. Just turn them over to me. Your relationships, how you behave in them, your mind, your sexuality, your emotions, your language, your priorities. It's all got to be turned over to Him. Put it in the wheelbarrow. It's a decision. Let me share with you one more illustration about uh, making decisions. I think I've admitted to you all before that I am very directionally challenged. Um, I don't do well with directions. Martha and I watch The Amazing Race, and we always say, it would be so much fun to be on that show, wouldn't it? But I could never be on that show. We would always be the first team eliminated because I'd never make it out of the Tampa airport. Now, when you're giving me directions, don't use words like north or east. Say, you know, turn right at Taco Bell. No, well, that kind of thing is what I need. But when we moved to Tallahassee, Martha gave me, bought for me a GPS unit because she knows how bad I am at directions. She's great, by the way, but she's not always with me. So she gave me a GPS unit because I was driving to places I'd never been before and I was you know, going to addresses. I didn't know where they were. And I got to where I depended on that GPS. 
I depended on that little voice saying, you know, in a quarter of a mile, turn right on West Monroe Street. So I had nowhere to go. But one of the great things about coming back to Tampa is the fact that I know where I am. And I know how to get around. So I don't need the GPS anymore. In fact, I took it off my dash and, and stuck it in the glove box. It's been in there for about two years. Not too long ago, I was in Plant City, and I was in the Walden Lake subdivision. And I was ready to go home. And somehow I got turned around. And I just kept kind of wandering through the rat maze that is this huge subdivision. And I kept thinking, well, I'm going to come out to a road that I recognize sooner or later. But I kept going around the same guy working on the same flower bed. I'm, like, I'm just, just driving by, trying to find my way out. And of course, I wasn't going to stop and ask. But then I remembered, wait a minute, I got a GPS. It's in my glove box. So I pull it out and I plug it in. And I hit the button, go home. You know what the little voice inside the box said? How dare you? <laughs> you fool. What's a big idea asking me now how to get home? You haven't consulted me in years. And oh, now you're lost, aren't you? Now you want my help to help you get home. Tough luck. And it went blank. No, that's not what the little voice said. The little voice said immediately, when safe to do so, execute a U-turn. And I executed a U-turn. As soon as you're ready to listen, as soon as you're ready to submit, execute a U-turn. That's repentance. I'll bring you home. That's grace. You may not have consulted me in years. You may have been convinced that you can get yourself out of this mess. You may be more lost than you could ever imagine being. But I'll bring you home. And that's Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. There's no other way. Jesus is our only hope. So you've got a choice to make. Why would you not choose to be a follower of Jesus Christ? You know, Jesus doesn't present himself as just a, a good teacher, a good man with some moral teaching. He never presented himself that way. He presents himself as Lord, as Master, the Son of God, the one to be followed, served, obeyed, worshipped. There's no other way. Jesus is the way. And you need to know that one day all of humanity is going to be divided into two groups. Just two. There's only going to be two camps. Those who follow Jesus and those who have rejected Jesus. There's no third group. Just like there's no third gate or no third way or no third uh, road or, or, or no third house, no third tree. There's no third group of people who say, well, I've been morally good and I've, I've kind of followed some of Jesus' teaching from a distance. There's, there's two camps. Those who follow Jesus with all their heart and those who have rejected him. There's no third group. 1 John chapter 5, verse 11, 12 has been a very much contemplated, meditated, prayed over passage of Scripture of mine. I love John. I love 1 John. But I've spent a lot of time in 1 John 5. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. 
and this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Maybe it really is that simple. And maybe it really is that profound. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. There's just two options. I began this sermon by quoting some, some lines from the song Living and Dying, the choices I've made. It's not a real encouraging song. It's not really a very redemptive song. Let me wrap up with some words from another song that is a song by Jeremy Camp. I like Jeremy Camp a lot. And I'm sure most of you have heard this song, Give Me Jesus. It's one of the 7-Eleven praise songs. Seven words, and you repeat them 11 times. But if it's the right seven words, I don't have any problem with that. Here's what he sings. I'm not going to sing it. In the morning when I rise, in the morning when I rise, in the morning when I rise, give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. You can have all the world, but give me Jesus. And when I'm all alone, when I'm all alone, when I'm all alone, give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. You can have all the world, but give me Jesus. And when I come to die, when I come to die, when I come to die, give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. You can have all the world, but give me Jesus. This morning, you have a choice to make. You can stick with the crowd, Drift along on the wide road, right through the broad gate, kind of looking the part, kind of sounding the part, even admiring Jesus. Or you can say, God, I'm coming out of the crowd. I'm crossing that line from being someone who's impressed by Jesus to someone who's a follower of Jesus. I'm devoting myself with your help, and you'll take God's help, I'm devoting myself that I want to do what you tell me to do. I want to go where you send me. I want to serve like you've asked me to serve. I want to love like you've told me to love. I want to become who you've called me to become. I'm going to give you my life, my time, and my obedience. See, God wants us to, to repent of our sins. That's why He sent Jesus. My Bible tells me that, that God's faithful. That if I repent, God will forgive me. God wants me to confess Jesus as the Lord of my life. Again, I'm, I'm told that if I confess Him, He'll confess me before the Father. And then I'm, I'm told in Scripture that if I want my sins forgiven, if I want my name written in the book of life, if I want to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to be baptized into Jesus Christ. In the same power that raised Jesus from the grave is available to me. In the same life that Jesus has talked about all through this Sermon on the Mount, all through the Gospels that, that the Gospel writers pick up on and talk about is available to me.
If you haven't done that this morning, if you've never been baptized into Christ, you know, we could do that today. You could leave here a brand new person. Or maybe you, you're a child of God, but the truth is you've been more of a spectator than a follower for quite a while. You've kind of sat back and, and watched. Maybe there's some places in your heart, some, some areas of your life that you just, you're refusing to turn over to God. Now, I've got to keep control over this. God's calling you to step away from the crowd. God's calling you to surrender. To become a follower, a wholly devoted follower of Jesus. And by the way, we are going to live and we are going to die with the choices that we make. Let's stand and sing.